Welcome to the Vetlow Podcast, a well-being space for the veterinary community in Ireland and beyond. We talk all things mindset and mental well-being with yours truly, Aoife Smith. I'm a qualified vet nurse and psychologist who is super passionate about helping you to cultivate a peaceful space inside your head. What are you waiting for? Hit that follow button and let's get going. Hello team! Wow, it's been a while. I always say that. I feel like I always say that when I come back on here, but um, that's just the, the lay of the land at the moment as I navigate being a newly qualified psychotherapist, setting up, you know, the psychotherapy practice element of a business I've been running for two years now and it's all going so, so, so well. I miss you like crazy over here on the pod, but um happy to report that it's going really, really well. I hope that you're all super well today. I hope you're all having a wonderful Monday. Um, if you can tell my by my voice, I am sick. Um, I was not sick for this interview, which is nice. So I can happily assure you that I do not sound like this throughout the interview with Mike, but um, I am popping in here to to record an intro prior to, you know, putting the, the episode out there. And I just wanted to introduce you to Mike and who he is and what he does before we launch straight into the chats. So Mike is a peer and pal of mine from the psychology world, let's say, and he's currently doing some really beautiful and amazing things with his new business called cope on and um, if you haven't noticed or copped on already um obviously that's a that's a play on the term cop on and I think it's a really beautiful um mic ism if I'm if I'm honest um I'm hoping that like you really get to to get on Mike's buzz over the next, I think, hour and a half we spent recording-ish um, about that anyway. I'm hoping that you can really get on his buzz because he's a very, very inspiring person and he's got a lot to say. And, you know, I think I, <laughs> for me anyway, being in college with Mike was an absolute privilege because he was so, so generous with his thoughts all the time and everything that he had to say or question or query I always really listened and I think the rest of our peers and our, our pals in class did too. Um, so I'm really excited to get to share Mike with the world today because um, I think about five or six of us had the privilege of, of being in classes with him for two years um, from 2018 to 2020. And I really learned a lot from Mike. So I'm hoping that you will as well. Um, we're chatting about his new business venture. We're talking about his program that he's currently offering. Um, you know, that allows you to to reset your nervous system in a really beautiful mic like way. And I really want you to hear kind of what he's what he's offering. Um, but we also have other chats too, things like attachment theory, all that jazz that we love to talk about here on the pod anyway. So you should be very, very well versed in in most of the chats that we have if you've been a long time listener of the podcast. So without further ado, I'm gonna adieu, adieu. I always say adieu as if it's like Mountain Dew. Anyway, conversation for another day. I'm going to pass you over to the legend that is Mike McNicholas and enjoy. Oh. Yay! Hi, Mike. <laughs> How are you? I'm very good. What's like the I didn't just ask you doing? 10 seconds ago. <laughs> well, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, yeah, literally, literally. Showtime! Um, I'm so glad to have you here, actually, which I didn't say a few moments ago. I'm really glad to have you here. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, myself and Mike are 
psychology pals from our HDIP. When did we finish? 2020? I think it was 2020. We, we literally got cut short from our final week, uh, final, uh, to finish the final semester by a couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah. That was so sad. That, that was so sad. That was like a grief that I just never experienced before. But that so, course was so good. It was amazing. It was just such a such an anti-climax for such a was re that was building up to a big, big last night. But yes. yeah, I know, yeah. We made yeah. up for it since we've had a few. Yeah, we've definitely had a few, probably a few too many at some <laughs> points, but that's fine. <laughs> so perfect, amazing. Okay, grand. So we're gonna have a chit chat today about numerous things we're going to talk about um your nervous system reset program which I'm actually so excited to properly hear about as well alongside everyone else um we're going to chat about attachment theory which I love so we'll try not to talk for Ireland but we probably will on that um and then we're also going to talk about like some of the issues in modern wellness culture and sort of Mm -hmm. what they they look like and sort of hash those out um but I suppose nervous system reset I'm dying to hear about this fill me in what is it what's your what's the go Amazing, absolutely. I mean, this all kind of derived from my own experiences in the pursuit of wellness. Um, mm-hmm. As we all know, and I suppose anybody who's listening to this podcast knows, oftentimes it's a really, really indirect route. Yeah. So when you're going through and it's a really, um, it's an unsignposted um, journey, and let's say you're you're struggling in your relationships or you're 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 getting anxiety that you don't understand mm-hmm. or you're struggling with depression that you don't understand so you walk past a reiki poster and then you go to a reiki healer and you you get this little bit of kind of clarity or you get this little bit of uh the sense of self-care and maybe you feel a little bit better and you understand mm-hmm. yourself a little bit better or mm-hmm. then you go to a yoga course or you go to a mindfulness course so you start attending counseling or you start attending group work or you start just getting out and trying to challenge your your boundaries you start doing all these little things and bit by bit and it's usually only retrospectively we see the progress but we do see progress so in where I'm at now I'm like 33 I've really come a huge way in my wellness journey um to the point where I suppose my anxiety doesn't really judge where I go and what I do anymore whereas it was a it was the deciding factor in my early 20s mid 20s so where I've come to is trying to go back through my wellness journey and see what actually was happening there what was working and what wasn't working um so the nervous system reset course is taking everything I got from I suppose that kind of yoga culture and all the time I spent on ashrams and taking everything I got from that, putting it into a scientific psychological context um, and then just giving it to people. Um, so that's like, that's the really yeah. core idea. It's kind of, it's the direct route to wellness. If I had to sum it up. That's so cool. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. And you're so right, aren't you? Like we do need to sort of, or we found ourselves needing to reach for all these different things. Now, like, obviously there's pros and cons to that so I'm an integrative psychotherapist so anyone who wants to reach for anything and everything I'm all for um but I love the like I but I also love the idea of kind of like a one-stop shop (laughs) for for wellness and like more of a direct route for somebody who might not like all of the rooting around like I love a bit of rooting around but some people don't like some people just want one thing and want to stick to one thing and let it do 
do wonders for kind of a, a multitude of issues that they're having. 100%. So how did you figure out that this was the direct route to wellness? Like, it, did it click with you one day or like, how did you work that out? I, it was kind of, it was actually as I, um, I oh, it all came about because I was, I, I'd been off social media for years. During the pandemic, I just mm. did a social media embargo, essentially. Um, and then by the time I went back on it then, um, in the last year or so, I started using it a bit more, started thinking about starting an online business. Mm-hmm. You could see the just kind of a wealth of kind of mental health based content. Um, but in my own experience, a lot of this mental health based content was weaving around the actual the actual point, the actual goal. Um, and then I started just asking myself, what if I was to do content mm-hmm. myself, how do you cut out the how do you cut out the um, the the the, um, the meandering kind of side of it? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, and then what I came to was just that. So then I just started boiling it down, and then once I boiled it down, I kind of realized oh, this is actually a a program. So it really comes down to, yeah, it, it it all comes down to different personalities, to be honest. Um, because me, I'm just definitely scientifically minded. Um, I am quite open to spirituality, and I'm quite open to different belief systems and different cultures. Mm-hmm. But so that's led me to experience Reiki and experience yoga and try all these different types of yoga and to explore all these different spiritual beliefs and that was like super duper beneficial to me mm-hmm. but I know all of the people in my life and like you're a 30 something person in Ireland and mm-hmm. you know how much of you how many of your friends are struggling with mental health issues yeah. um, and it's not just the spiritually minded people it's not just the the people who are uh, open to Reiki and open to like there are the there's the the hard larger football lads who were just really struggling with self-image issues. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? And it's so hard to get through to them because so much of wellness yeah. culture overcrosses with this um kind of the spiritual, um, almost what what some people would say woo-woo, um, which is a term used to yeah. distance yourself from the thing that's gonna fucking help you. But um it's just so then in my experience mm-hmm. it is uh, I've definitely meandered away from the actual question there, but that's okay. Um, so in my experience, there is that kind of direct way you can do it that appeals to the broadest possible set of personalities. And I think that's just super duper important. Um, and it's also just, mm. I've seen time and time again, people in my life start a wellness journey and then they just get put off because it doesn't happen fast enough. And a lot of the the wellness that you will get yes. from say like um ashtanga yoga um like a let's say attending yoga for four or five months where you get that kind of calmness and you get that wellness and you get that bodily awareness that takes patience and that takes commitment mm-hmm. and you don't get it from the first class or the first three classes um you don't get that like personality change that comes from like a really extended exploration of how your body works so the kind of idea of this direct path to wellness is just like, how do we make the mental health sector actually appeal to to everybody? How do we cut out yeah. all of the things that people kind of find off-putting? 
Yeah, I love that so much. And like, I really resonate with that whole thing of, you know, the change isn't going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. I honestly spend my life in my therapy chair saying to people, Rome wasn't built in a day. Mm -hmm. Or like, if I had a magic wand, I would wave it, but I can't. Mm -hmm. Um, And even like, I've seen changes in clients that have taken over a year. um, And it might take them over a year to implement maybe one one thing and do that one thing really well like um choice theory comes to mind I have clients who who implement that you know over the course of a year and their whole like trajectory and interaction with others has now completely flipped on its head because of that one thing but it has taken them like a year and a bit to sort of get to grasps with and and get it into like muscle memory rather than Mm -hmm. conscious like choices all the way along do you know that way so interesting and it's such so a like, it's such an uncomfortable it's an uncomfortable year when you're going through when you yeah. go to a counselor you're going there because you're uncomfortable with something in your life and you want change yes like if you had a, a an infected leg you just want it sawn off but if you've got an infected yeah tendency towards um unuseful instances of anger you can't just saw that off you just need to mm-hmm. It just takes time. No. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So then what what is your program? Do you want to give like an overall what it is, what you're doing with people at the moment and like how everyone is getting on? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm like, it, it's getting this like it was such a funny thing. because It's it's something I've come up with out of my own head and it's just getting this really positive response, um, which is, mm-hmm. again, just good, just kind of beautiful. And it is. Uh, it's for the most part it's facilitated in yoga spaces um because there's just that it's it's that yoga crew that i'm um that i'm appealing to um so it's facilitated in yoga spaces mm-hmm. and it does it draws upon yoga it's not it's not exactly yoga the idea is mm-hmm. becoming it's a space where like i'll bring people in and some of the main tenants are don't there is no expectation on you um to perform mm-hmm. here. Um it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's breaking down. Um I suppose so the actual classes, we come in, <clears throat> we take two minutes of silence. And the idea of the two minutes of silence is to just observe your mind. Um so as we wake up, from the moment we wake up, we're telling our mind what the pace of the day is. Um, and if we jump out of bed and we slam our alarm down and we run into the shower and then we run downstairs and we stir our coffee faster than it needs to be stirred and we <clears throat> run out the door to get the first bus, even though we don't really need to, we could always just get the second bus. And we just do this. Um, we just beat the sense of urgency into our mind. Um, and that is one of the biggest challenges to just taking everybody down. And you see it in the class. It takes about 40, 50 minutes before people really exhale and they relax yeah so we take a minute and i just get people to look at their mind and then we go into a a a meta meditation so it's a really really simple meditation it's just based around cultivating positive emotions um are you aware of the meta meditation no fill me in so look it's super duper simple it's one of the oldest meditations Mm -hmm. um, but it's super simple and it's just so powerful and like the simplest version is you imagine somebody from your life who you've got a very uncomplicated relationship with and you imagine them in front of you and you just say uh 
may you be happy, may you be free from suffering, and may you be calm. And while you're doing this, you're one, you're imagining them in a transcendent, perfect state of happiness. You're imagining them in a state completely free from suffering, and you're imagining them in a state of iridescent calmness. And while you're doing this, you're also connecting with that genuine feeling of um, empathic joy in yourself, where you're like, you, if you could press a button, you would make this person happy. You would make this person to be free from suffering. You would make them calm. Um, and on the surface, it's this really simple meditation that brings you, just lets you cultivate a feeling of happiness and a feeling of empathic joy and a feeling of community and all these lovely feelings. But the real power of it is it lets you see where your mind was at before you started this meditation. Because as you, <gasps> yes, as okay. you, yeah. So as, so you can see it, it forces, it puts all of your actual assumptions about people and your relationship to people into really harsh contrast. Because oftentimes you see, mm. you start this, the, the very simple version is you take somebody you've got an uncomplicated relationship with, but you can do it with somebody you've got a complicated relationship with, somebody you hate. You can mm -hmm. do it with a group of people, such as your family. You can do it with yourself. Um, I often bring people and I get them to do it with their younger self. You can start to explore all of these implicit beliefs you have about their about their relationships. And it's this really powerful thing. And you see people, like I've had people come up to the class afterwards and be like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't wish myself to be free from suffering and you see that wow. they weren't they weren't aware of that but once it got to that they had to they had to check out they just they, they weren't ready to go there they mm -hmm. weren't ready to wish themselves happiness in an uncomplicated way they weren't ready to wish themselves calmness in an uncomplicated way so we have again from the day we're born we're just out in the world trying to survive mm -hmm. but what we're actually doing is we're we're building this infrastructure to our mind and there's all of these implicit beliefs and ideas and wants and needs and duties that just, they go unnoticed. They're just right under the conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. And there's just a few little tricks. So for instance, that is just a really, really, really powerful thing. So I do that at the start of every class just to bring into a really sharp relief what sort of um, difficult attitudes you're bringing towards this course. Mm -hmm. Then I actually go into some really simple poses. Um, so my own experience in yoga, being a really competitive perfectionist, is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear! I can see where this is going. <laughs> it's, it's not what yoga is about, and I know it's yeah. not what yoga is about. But if yeah. I go into a yoga course and they're like, breathe in for six, hold for five, breathe out for seven, and I'm. I'm just, I just find it stressful because I'm breathing yeah. in for six, but maybe I'm breathing for six and a half or maybe I'm not getting a full breath on six and then I'm holding for a little bit too long or a little bit too short and then I'm breathing out. Um, So there is definitely that side of us. Or then if you're going into difficult poses, let's say you're doing a series of sun salutations mm -hmm. and it's moving a little bit too fast and you're like, oh shit, I'm still in downward dog when I should be yeah. falling into seal pose. And, mm -hmm. and then next thing you're behind and then, the mind that was racing beforehand you're just you're just giving it fodder you're just you're just you're essentially just putting it around a dog track mm -hmm. um, and it's for me and my own mind 
the best thing I can do is break that cycle a couple of times a week because yeah. God bless me from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed I just think <laughs> you know what I mean I'm yes. just I'm just a born thinker uh, <laughs> yeah so just getting something to kind of take me down from that hyperverbal hypercognitive place mm. is so useful so what I do is it's all low lighting it's very chill it's very calm I don't give the mind of uh, any of my attendees anything to nibble on I, I just mm. I, I choose super simple poses I call them zero calorie poses <laughs> yeah. I love you're, that. yeah you're just lying down the floor you're getting into this like really deep shoulder stretch and I'm inviting people to I'm essentially putting them into a very simple position and I'm inviting them to fall asleep um, oh yeah so then it's the it's the weight of the body there's nothing for the mind to do the mind is not trying to make sure the arms are aligned mm. the mind is not trying to loosen out a hip it's not trying to get your shin bone to touch the back of your head um it's just laying there um, and there's a couple of things this does one it just feels nice and it's just nice to give yourself that long-held stretch where we're for instance in the shoulder stretches we carry so much of our stress in our shoulders. So yeah. if you think about nonverbal communication, we go through the world and if we get angry with somebody, we communicate it with our shoulders. If we get sad, yes. we communicate it with our shoulders. If we get by, by slouching, if we get, if we're attracted to somebody, we communicate it with our shoulders. Like we, like we, we talk with our shoulders so much mm -hmm. in the modern world. Let's say you're in a corporate position. Let's say you're among a big group of friends. Let's say you've got a spouse we can't show the body language our body language is not allowed mirror our emotions in the modern world um it's just it's taboo to be fully congruent in the modern world so we actually inhibit our body languages with by using tension and you see like it's the you see even in like the south american cultures they don't have that tension because they've got a much more congruous mm -hmm. culture where like it's okay to show attraction when you see somebody you're attracted to it's okay to show anger when you're feeling angry um, and because of that they don't have that beautiful Irish tense tenseness <laughs> yes it's and like I've never noticed that before and now that you say it I'm like yeah for sure like I don't know if someone is annoyed at me or trying to flirt with me I have no idea Oftentimes and I hear like um <laughs> yeah 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 maybe it is and like I hear about like straight women in particular tell tell me or like we'll tell each other quite often like what's the crack like Irish men just hover around they just stand there um and it's so true I feel like we're so rigid as a nation yeah. like it's it's in all of us there's you know nothing that's tenser. just one example I just think it's everywhere there's nothing tenser than an Irishman in a club look at him and he's just like and, but that's because there's <laughs> just the next time you're out in a club, just spot, spot the Irish chap with his shoulders up around his ears. And it's just like, yeah, it's just a yeah. and maybe he's emotions and, and maybe he's got some. Yeah. yeah. And maybe yeah. he's got some brown shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Accurate. Yeah. That's so, accurate yeah, for sure. So, so there's part of that where I'm like taking people through, and the same can be said of the hips, and the same can be said of these core muscles, and um, oh, and the same can be said of the muscles of the throat and the sinuses, yes, and the base of the tongue. Oftentimes, 
in, in the exact same vein, we want to talk like we were like to be a congruent person would be to say that everything that came to your mind and it would be to sigh when you felt um when you felt a sigh coming on it would be to laugh when you felt like laughing it would be to mm. scowl when you felt like scowling but we don't live in that culture we don't live in that society and i think mm. we compensate for that or we we inhibit ourselves with tension in our throats being somebody who came from a musical background and he struggled mm. with like vocal tension for years is the thing i'm still getting over because in my all my early life i was just i was inhibiting my my voice and i was inhibiting my um my size i came from like a really macho central male culture where like mm-hmm. you were only allowed to talk about four subjects and they were sports women drugs and drink you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, I was just like anything beyond. Not a very broad scope there for Mike. <laughs> no, there's not at all. <laughs> no, um, but and it is you know, so like you just have to. So yeah, I just learned this to have like a really tense voice, um, and it's still something I find if I get into a relaxed pose and I start to feel into the muscles in my base, of my tongue, and my throat. I just still carry so much tension around there. So mm. you fall into these poses. We're in long held stretches. Those long held stretches, that is actually one of the best ways of actually um, loosening out the muscles or lengthening the muscles, um, especially like the small internal muscles. And once you stay in a pose, as soon as you fall into one of these poses, you're going to be met with, what, with what's called protective tension. So if you take mm-hmm. any stretch, as soon as you... Stretch, you're going to get to the uh, initial point, the initial end of your range of motion, and you're going to be met with a sense of tension. But if you're patient and if you relax and if you and I take them to progressive relaxations, um, you'll see that that's not actually the end of your range of motion. That's just your nervous system saying, be careful, mm-hmm. be careful getting to this extreme point of your mm. range of behavior. Um so I take people through these stretches. We go into a simple stretch and then they get to their initial end of the range of motion, their point of tension. And then I bring them through that point of tension. Um, and I really try to use that analogy and I really try to beat it home that this is what your nervous system is doing. That's your nervous system trying to keep you safe. Um, it's yeah. your nervous system sending you a, sending you a, a tactile signal um, or a sensation that's saying like, I don't know what's going to happen beyond this point. I can't guarantee you're going to be safe beyond this point. So I'm telling you to be super duper duper careful. You're in control, but you need to be careful. Mm-hmm. And like, it, this is an exact analog to what the nervous system does when it's using stress. Um, so your stress signal in the modern world, oftentimes is in response to you going outside of your natural range of behaviors. Um Maybe it's you're working more than you actually know you're capable of working. You're you're um, in a relationship that you aren't certain is safe to be in or that you, you aren't certain you trust your partner. Um, you're uncertain about your financial situation. It's, it, all of these things that cause stress responses. I try to really uh, redefine what stress means um, in, in, in every session. And I think that's the goal. People view stress as is um an evolutionary mistake they view it as this thing that happens they view it like a like a kidney stone or something they're like oh bollocks i've got stress um 
you know what I mean? When in reality, stress is like integral to health. Stress is a signal of health. Stress is, if you didn't get a stress signal, you likely wouldn't survive very long. Um, and it is just, it's mm-hmm. kind of redefining that thing. It's redefining what stress is. So I'm bringing people, I'm, I'm still in the course here. <laughs> I keep going into these little tangents. The so That's okay. Yeah, 100%. That's allowed. I'm totally with you. You're You're in the good hands of a 10 and 2 therapist, so we're all good. (laughs) (laughs) So. I will steer. Don't worry. (laughs) Please, please. I I trust you. So Mm -hmm. we are falling into these simple poses. um, We're uh, sending, uh, we're redefining what stress is with every pose, because every time you fall into a pose, it doesn't matter how many times you've done it, you get this protective tension. You begin to develop this efficacy around these deep stretches. Um, And with that, I'm using that as a metaphor for stress in your daily life. But also, once we get into these poses, I'm bringing the class through a set of progressive relaxations. So, for instance, if I'm in a shoulder stretch, um, just I'm doing a really specific thing. And I'm saying you're becoming aware of the tension in your fingers. And now you're becoming aware that the tension in your fingers is holding on to the muscles in your in the palm of your right hand. And now you're becoming I'm literally like I'm clenching the laptop as you're saying that. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. yeah so then, and then you're you're bringing it on down and you're saying and now you're aware that the tension in the palm of your hand is holding on to the muscles in the wrist of your hand. So when you release the muscles in the palm of your hand, you're feeling a relaxation come through the wrist of your hand. And I'm bringing them right up through the arm, um, the forearm, the elbow, the bicep, the tricep, the internal muscles of the shoulder, the external muscles of the shoulder. I'm even bringing it right up to the to the muscles of the rear delt, the back of the shoulder, the muscles of the of the right right of the neck, the muscles of the throat, the muscles at the base of the tongue, the muscles in the right sinus, the muscles in the right temple, the muscles in the right jaw. And we're just bringing them through that progressive relaxation. And that's doing a couple of things. One, if I tell you, I, have you ever been stressed and somebody walks up to you and says, just relax, it's fine, don't you? Don't yeah, and, and it's, it's horrific. It's the most frustrating and, and... thing. You're just like, this is not Lazarus. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. Like, just relax. Oh, glory, I'm healed. Do you know what? Yeah. You're so right. Yeah. Like, how smart of you. I just didn't think of that. Never, of yeah, all the things, I just didn't think to relax at all. Like, how could I have been so silly? Mm. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, so one of the main, uh, the core ideas of my course is stress is facilitated by the sympathetic nervous system the sympathetic nervous system is part of the autonomic nervous system and the autonomic nervous system is involuntary so your stress response is involuntary it comes and it goes and you do not have any conscious control at all on whether or not you have a stress response and so then Mm -hmm. if somebody walks up and says don't stress or don't be stressed or you need to relax or all of this that's actually really unuseful But what we do have, we've got conscious control of our somatic nervous system. So what this whole course is about is just finding these proxies, um, these ways that we can communicate to our autonomic nervous system. How we, we need to send relaxation signals, send signals of safety to the autonomic nervous system. And then this is going to, in a roundabout way, It's going to bring down our sympathetic nervous system response. So with the progressive relaxation, 
one, your mind can't just take a large lump of muscles um, because it only has a certain bandwidth. It can't relax you from your fingers up to your uh, your right sinus, your right fingers to your right sinus, because that's just too much information for the mind to actually engage with. So what you've got to do is break it down into little steps. And if you do that and use really direct language, I always use the muscles of your of the fingers in your right hand. Um, so that's really, really, really specific, small sets of muscles. And the mind can deal with that. The mind can actually send a little relaxation response to the fingers in your right hand. Um, and it can send a little relaxation response to the fingers in the palm of your right hand. And it can do the same with the wrist in your right hand and the forearm of your right hand. Um, so in doing that, we're just sending these little signals of relaxation to the um to the parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system or to the to the autonomic nervous system causing a parasympathetic um response um which is going to take down the sympathetic response um so it's just again it's just kind of having a little bit of understanding of the underlying neurology can allow you to 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 make choices in your yoga class or your wellness practice um, that one isn't putting stress, isn't putting undue stress on the mind of the, on the already taxed mind of the attendee. You're not telling them to do something they can't do, which is really frustrating. You're not giving them something that they can fail at, which is, which in some cases might be absolutely integral. Like you might get somebody coming to you that's really, really struggling. And it's just like, you, you can have really effective therapies that are super duper duper simple. Um, mm -hmm. I just think that's key um, because if you keep it simple, people will get out of it. People will be able to um, meet you in the middle. You know what I mean? They will be able to get out of it what they can. And even somebody who's like a very, 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 very stressed and who really mm -hmm. can't concentrate can still engage with us it because it's just, it's not going to complicate things for them it's not going to um give them something that's going to um uh, however uh, increase their their unuseful cognitive habits or whatever you would like to say mm -hmm. yeah so and then uh, yeah and then so that's a really core part so we're we're doing our silence we're doing our meditation we're doing our stretching and then it's just and I'm using these really long stretches to the point where we might hold a stretch for 10 minutes. Um, we might hold a stretch for four minutes, eight minutes. There is no rush. There is no signals of urgency. Um, there is a real culture where like, if you feel like just lying down on the mat and taking a little break, you take your little break. Mm -hmm. it's, it's breaking as many of these little habits that we have in the external world as possible. And then... I, I also just use this. I will take them into, after the progressive relaxations, I might take them into a, 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 a puppy dog pose. I might just get them to lie down flat on their back and take a, take a relaxation. And then I'll intersperse it with this information. It's, the, it's, um, it's getting rid of the kind of culture of gatekeeping. Mm. You know what I mean? So yes. I think that's super powerful. My, myself being kind of a, a studiously minded individual, mm -hmm. I just love getting the information and understanding something. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, before I, before we went to college, I'd probably been with all of my various um, 
indiscretions of youth. <laughs> <laughs> nicely put, nicely put. <laughs> I've probably been to about 15, 15 therapists, counsellors, addiction mm. counsellors, psychiatrists, psychologists, mm. what have you. On to, and, and then I finally came to college with you. And to be honest, I didn't get that. There was one of all the people that I'd seen, there was one person who I jived with and, and to be fair that was me that was the that was the time I decided I wanted to be honest um, mm. and that that's when I really got something out of those therapies but it's really evident to me that like there was information even though I might not have been ready to to fully divulge what I needed to divulge I wasn't ready until I was in my later life to actually engage with the therapeutic process um I was getting little bits of care I was getting little bits of support but I wasn't getting that that deep personality change that I really needed or was looking for. Mm -hmm. But there's some big gap there where there was information that I could have really done with about yeah. what what's what what is anxiety? What is yes. stress? for years I beat myself to death about my own anxiety. Like I really did. Well, hundred percent. And I think a lot of people do. It mm. becomes this thing where you go out into the world, you have it's a self-reinforcing uh, pattern. You go out into the world, you have a an anxiety response to something, maybe it's a social interaction with a friend you haven't seen in a while. And you walk away from it going, oh, shit, I did it again. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? And then you're beating yourself up or maybe you're coming up with some tactic. You're like, oh, next time I'm in that situation, I'm just going to breathe. So then the next time you meet that person, you're just breathing really heavily. And it's just. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, if, you, you, if you're the type of person I am, where you try and solve things by thinking, um, you you really, 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 you can tie yourself up in knots. So for the yeah. type of person I am, actually having simple psychological information, and I feel like I'm getting a really good response to that in the course. One of the biggest points of feedback I got after the course was, um, can you do handouts? Um, where it's just like. <sighs> A little oh. simple thing where I'm explaining because I will take people through and I will explain the different tiers of the nervous system. I will be like, there's the rest and digest stage, there's mm -hmm. the flight stage, and then there's the freeze stage. And I'd say, I'm trying to explain it in the simplest terms possible without getting into psycho babble jargony stuff um, in a way that people can use in their day to day lives to understand their own stress responses. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm trying to just do it when they're in a very relaxed state and when they're not bringing a, a whole load of their own baggage to the conversation. Mm, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, That's so, yeah, hundred percent. And it seems to get through to people like you probably know from your own practice. I don't know would, it, would this apply to your own practice, but it's something I've definitely seen. If you're talking to a, an anxious person about anxiety, oftentimes their mind just goes so fast. You, you can kind of see their mind working behind their eyes and it's very yes. really feel like they're, they're 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 not in a place where they can hear or listen or really engage with what you're saying yeah so it's very, very hard to have a conversation with an anxious person about why they're anxious yeah you're so right Mike and I'm actually so thankful that like again I'm an integrative psychotherapist so any anything that I hear sort of outside of myself like I just always make a point in my practice to not have a big ego and like send my clients looking for different things that mm -hmm. they can bring in because I do find that you know if somebody comes to therapy with anxiety and it's maybe they're like in the middle of a panic attack like we don't know like what's going to come in the door do you know that way and it's about crisis management at that point mm -hmm. like I can't go into 
you know biopsychology at all like in in any way shape or form it's it's all about like the crisis management just so to hear that you're doing that in what you're doing Mm -hmm. I'm just so like happy about that like that's Mm -hmm. just the best thing ever so good yeah it's and it's look it's class and it is just like this is just a thing again if people didn't like this it'd be grand I'd move on to something else because it was just Mm. I designed for myself and it was it's the it's it's what I needed when I was struggling yeah so, so that's the whole thing behind it and it, but like people are responding to it so it's, it's just brilliant that's so good and I love what you said about gatekeeping as well I think you're mm-hmm. so right and I I do find that as well as a as a psychotherapist if I'm um you know if somebody is is we're working on some sort of piece and like I, I taught somebody you know recently what schemas were um mm-hmm. and I actually kind of bring in schema work quite a bit so I end up sort of chatting on that for a while with my clients but it was really effective because I was able to explain sort of the basic theory and then go okay do we think this applies to your situation and we had like a big massive breakthrough because the person then understood the theory behind it like it's so nice and I yeah I really don't think we should be gatekeeping at all and I hate I hate that practitioners like ourselves do it it just Mm. makes me so stressed (laughs) now that we're talking about stress yeah it makes me stress I'm like why like you know it's the beautiful thing about psychology again of course there's quantum mechanics you have to gatekeep a little bit because nobody's going to understand without a load of fundamental information but when you get to a concept like how the nervous system responds in a stressful situation that's really intuitive like people really 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 understand that if like in 15 minutes of like preliminary information people you can give people a solid 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 base in kind of paravagal theory and how the nervous system responds and how we swap between the rest and digest and fight and flight and and it's just like yeah and especially with like schemas or attachment Mm. theory Mm -hmm. people people know this stuff and we're just giving them names for it yes Mm. yeah that's exactly it I'm just like gorgeous uh turn into attachment theory there because we love that around here (laughs) so like you're you're working with attachment theory at the moment are you in your practice or like are you working with it specifically yeah absolutely so I'm not bringing the nervous system research but I am uh, launching a series of seminars um launching a series of seminars around Ireland uh, throughout the rest of the year Dublin Belfast Cork um and I'm just in the middle of designing those seminars now it is and you know what it just comes from that exact same thing for years, I just, I really struggled in my relationships. I'm like a hundred percent. I'll hold my hands up. If any of my exes are listening, mm. my bad. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting honest around here to you. <laughs> yeah, fair. Like no, no, fair. No, and no, I but, love that you've said that. I yeah, love that. But, amazing. But a hundred percent. I mean, look, it is just, um, it is such a fascinating thing when, you get the a set of language to understand yourself, your own behaviors, and the behaviors of your previous partners and the behaviors of your current partner. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so powerful, especially with something like attachment theory, where the emotions associated with uh, insecure attachment can be so intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just blinding. Like it's uh, like they they really can. You can, uh, you of course we all know this feeling of coming out of a relationship saying 
I'm not going to make that mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yes. getting up, <laughs> then getting caught up in another relationship. And next thing, it's a fresh person and it's it's fresh wounds mm-hmm. being opened and it's fresh. And it's all just, and it's so visceral and so, um, it's just so easy to fall back into the the, the old attachment habits. Yeah. Um, that until you have, but then having those terms and especially having a partner, my current partner, um, and I just use attachment theory on a daily basis to understand our own needs, understand our own triggers, to talk mm-hmm. about that, um, to understand, to take the stigma out of asking for space or asking for affection. Yes. Um, isn't that just a massive thing in modern Irish society? Huge. Mm. Yeah, just being able to go up to your partner and say like, I need you to lie on yeah, top of me and not say anything just for 10 minutes. And it's just like, it's just that. Mm. It's, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just so, so powerful. So yeah. again, this is getting into that. Um, I, this is, I suppose, the the intention of these seminars is it's just to stop gatekeeping. It, it's, it's kind of to go against that gatekeeping culture. And it's just like, what if, somebody what if you could take somebody in distill everything we know about attachment theory in the mm-hmm. psychological profession into like a really useful couple of hours um and and i i believe people are just going to respond to it man because I, I of course i teach as well i teach in um i up in dcu as part of the center mm-hmm. for ireland um so really 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 interesting cohorts up there because they are it's the top five percent of students in Ireland. Um, and the transition year students in Ireland get invited wow. to DCU to engage in a variety of different courses. And of course, I teach them psychology. Um, so they're super bright and they're super engaged, but they're still teenagers. So it, mm. it's just fascinating. Like you can talk about whatever you want. You can talk about Freud. You can talk about Piaget. You can talk about um a fetal development you can talk about anything that's really really interesting to me but as soon as you mention the term attachment theory they're like a bunch of little meerkats the the ears go up the, the eyes go up and they're just like and i did the exact same oh. thing i was in college with you when attachment theory was brought up and, that was a pivotal moment i think and like that's yeah. one of the most memorable yeah. like times i think of what we covered because yeah. I think we were all so like our minds were blown yeah. like my mind just like my head rolled off my shoulders mm-hmm. when Lucy took us through that and um, Lucy was our lecturer um yeah when when she took us through that amazing unreal and, and again I remember it as well and even still I imagine I think that was quite a, a even a bonding moment for our class and our class formed such a such a close bond pre-COVID yeah. um that was just a real bonding moment because mm-hmm. it's just like because having those yeah. terms uh, to just be able to sit around as a group and say like, oh, you know what? I think fearful avoidance is my thing because I've got these behaviors and I've got mm. these behaviors. But if you don't have the terms that we use in attachment theory, those are really, really, really vulnerable conversations. Those are very difficult conversations to have with a group of people to talk about your yes. how you get insecure when love is made available to you. That is yeah. a it's a very visceral emotion to share with a group of people, especially a group of people mm. in a common setting. Um, mm-hmm. but if you give people a set of language a set of shared language um it just kind of takes the taboo out of it um it takes the stigma out of it and it just makes us really intuitive mm. yeah i love that so much yeah. and like so in your seminars mike what's your is your overall aim 
to kind of educate and like get rid of the gatekeeping or yeah like what's your main objective do you think the overall aim again like I'm just kind of guiding everything I'm doing with this company now coupon I'm guiding it by uh, mm. what I needed four years ago um or what I needed five years ago what I needed 10 years ago depending on the cohorts mm. but like uh, this current set of mm-hmm. um a set of events is based around kind of adults so it's adults experiencing stress adults mm. experiencing relationship problems um so this particular set is one again just even in my own life um speaking about myself a few years ago speaking about my friends now and seeing them cycle through essentially the same relationships again and again um especially if they're anxiously attached people that have a tendency mm-hmm. to gravitate towards avoidant people um or vice versa you know, the anxious avoidant yes, that's such a hard one yeah it's such a, it's such a hard one because people when you're anxiously attached and you really need love and validation where you're where you're kind of fundamentally unsure about your the 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 security of your relationship and then you gravitate towards mm-hmm. avoiding people who tend to pull back when somebody is asking them for too much affection or intimacy you can get caught up in this cycle where you start to confuse um you start to confuse periods of calm for feelings of love so you mm. go into a relationship you're asking for you're an anxiously attached person you're asking for affection they pull back you become really emotionally activated. You, it's a really, really difficult place. You feel very in, insecure. You feel very unsafe. And next thing, it all settles down and they're back and you're watching a film together and you get this feeling of calmness and safety. Um, and you start to confuse that. You're like, oh, well, this is obviously love because I feel calm and safe. But yes. that can really obscure what actual love is, which is, yeah, of course, I'm, yeah, I'm not in a place to say what actual love is, but, my, but I don't but, know if any of us are, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think anybody is. No, but, I don't think so. Oh, but uh, but of course, there is definitely other aspects that are not just calmness and safety, and that's shared values, and um, mm. shared values, shared humor, shared um, needs for uh, shared shared likes, whatever. Um, but again when you see your friends just going through this cycle and you're like, oh shit, man, if you just had that set of information, um, it would just make your decisions a little bit more um, intuitive or make your decisions a little bit more informed or allow you to, to spot partners um, that are going to be bothersome to, that are going to pose you problems down the road. Um, mm. So that's definitely one side of it. And then there's the other side of it which I'd be, I'd be curious to even think about in the veterinary profession. And it's it's a really interesting side of attachment theory. I'm by no means an expert, mm. but it is something I'm definitely um, trying to build my knowledge in. And that is attach- organizational attachment theory. That yes. Is, oh, is, wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, <laughs> fill them in. Fill them in. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Look, it's super duper duper interesting. It's so like, of course, the basis of it, in the very first minutes, hours, weeks, years of our lives, we are forming. We're learning how to uh, how to respond to the world and how to how to act in our relationships to um, make ourselves safe, to make ourselves to get as much love um, and affection as is available to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us learn that we need to 
um, embellish our emotions and we need to um, make a lot of noise and cry in order to get the most um, love and affection available to us. Some of us learn that we need to um, uh, diminish our emotions and we need to pull back and we need to be independent if we want to want to be safe and want to be close to our primary caregivers. Um, and some of us learn that it's okay to give and receive emotions and it's okay to compromise and it's okay to um to kind of uh to have a back and forth and we don't we're not so rigid mm-hmm. but as we grow up um and we move out into the world it's most obvious uh these little tactics that tactics that we learn in our early life they're most obvious in our romantic relationships but we actually also use them to to relate to to organizations to social groups to pets mm-hmm. um is a really yes. interesting theory, point of uh, attachment theory but yeah organizational <laughs> attachment theory specifically uh, a massive um, point of research in organizational attachment theory is the behavior of anxiously attached people in organizations um, and especially in the caring professions. So anxiously attached people are looking for validation. They're looking for, mm. especially if they're struggling in, in, in the relationships, they're looking for that sense of belonging, that sense of love, that sense of connectedness. Um, and sometimes mm-hmm. they find that by over committing themselves to a career path um sometimes especially in the caring profession such as the veterinary profession they find yeah. that giving too much of themselves to their clients um giving too much mm-hmm. of themselves to the practice um mm. and they're, they're really 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 susceptible to burnout um so anxiously attached people are throwing themselves head first into their careers into their um into the the, the any role where they might find a, a sense of identity and a sense of belongingness. Um, but it's a dangerous thing in something like the veterinary profession. Um, I don't know, do you have any experience of that? Do you see that as a risk factor in burnout? In yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 1000% because there's so many different types of relationships to manage. So you have your colleague relationships and then you have your client relationships and then you have your patient relationships and like patients are a funny one right because animals can't lie there's no like airs and graces with them at all so Mm -hmm. I think you know if you're in any way shape or form kind of in a not so great place they can be very confronting by default Mm -hmm. to form relationships with which I just think is so interesting um and yeah, burnout is huge. You've like been, <laughs> poor Mike has listened to me talk about this for many a year now <laughs> before the Athenas knew who I was. Um, and yeah, burnout is huge. It's it's horrific. And yeah, I can definitely see that contributing to burnout. Maybe there's a thesis in there, although not just yet, I'm still napping. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking a thesis hibernation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. But no, that's so, so interesting. Yeah, and it's Isn't just... that wild like yeah. that? And I'm also kind of like, I'm also thinking about not just the anxiously attached, but say if someone has, I don't know, like a disorganized attachment style mm. um, and maybe they're drawn to the veterinary profession for like the, I guess, the studious science side of it. But yeah. then they enter practice and they realize then obviously there's a whole heap of um, relationships to be formed. But that must be really distressing if you have like this un untapped disorganized attachment happening for you and then you walk into a place that requires so many different levels of relationships for you of course like no wonder people are struggling especially with the people side of things because they do struggle with people side of things it's hard of course man and especially if you've got that 
uh, a very complicated as I am a, a fearful avoidant attachment style um so depending on whether or not if mm. someone's asking me for intimacy my first instinct is to pull back and put up borders and to act in an avoidant way but if somebody's uh, mm. withdrawing or withholding love or affection my tendency is to act in a in a, a, a with a set of uh, anxiously attached behaviors um so if i'm in a situation like that um if i'm in a really complicated work environment where i've got people looking to me for reassurance I'd like for instance if i were in the veterinary profession and you've got people walking into your office and looking to you like you're the only hope they have um that can be a very very uncomfortable thing mm. if you or if you have to after a long day or if you have to act as a bereavement counselor for somebody who's lost a pet that day um yes that can be a very very yeah. thing and if you if you don't have a set of language to understand those emotions you might confuse it for not liking the person for having something against yes. the profession itself and um, for having something mm -hmm. against the workplace um mm -hmm. if you've got a complicated set of emotions um, the mind loves certainty, but when you don't have a good set of language to understand that that, that set of what, what is essentially contradictory emotions that you're presented with day in, day out, then the mind is start going to start looking for narratives that explain them. Um, mm -hmm. And I've had that in workplaces before where I'm like, I, I begin to think that the workplace is not for me. But in hindsight, it wasn't the workplace that was the problem. It was the emotions I had in response mm. to the to the intimacy in that workplace. Oh my gosh, yes. Mm. I think we might have just solved veterinary. No I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 but like we've we've definitely you've definitely touched on something that I think I think everyone's gonna really appreciate, to be honest with you. Um mm. I to be laughing sometimes, so like Mike knows my doggy very well um, at this point. Oh. <laughs> and he I was only saying recently to someone that he is my rock but they asked me to explain why and I was trying to sort of figure it out and then the answer that I came up with was that he was consistent uh -huh. so mm -hmm. like he is by default consistent and unconditional and yeah. like no wonder he's the per he's the person I was gonna say no wonder he's the being that like helps me to feel the calmest because mm -hmm. he doesn't lie he's like very honest um he's always happy to see me no matter if I've had an absolute mess of a day because therapists can have a mess of a day too and yes. you know it's it's gas that consistency was the one mm -hmm. that I that I came up with so yeah. then that got me thinking about how if we're forming these relationships in the veterinary field, but we're still struggling with attachment and inconsistency is like part of the job, like inconsistency in a healthcare profession is the job. Yeah. So then no wonder everyone's burning out because they're also, it's not just emotional exhaustion from patients and clients. It's emotional exhaustion from yourself yeah. <laughs> because you haven't, you haven't dealt with what you've needed to deal with yet. Do you know, in order to do the, the, the work in a safe way, yeah of course and and like and, and and even something comes to mind and like we're all we're all we all like to think we're rational people that can mm. that can compartmentalize all the different different difficult things of life mm -hmm. but even being in the veterinary profession and sustaining a, a bite from an animal yeah and just having a little I, I imagine it's a very injury prone profession profession I imagine you often have scratches and nicks and bites mm. and scrapes 
and mm-hmm. they can just really take your resilience down where it's just like if you just have that little bit of pain and then you're you're going through you're giving so much of yourself to this profession but it's mm. leaving you with just this constant set of niggling injuries yeah. um, and that even something like that can just can if you're if you're not careful and you're not thinking i can just feel i, I imagine it would you could manifest as um uh, as though uh what's the word i'm looking for uh, ungratitude or something where you're like you give so much of yourself to help an animal and then the animal scratches you and then you're dealing with that scratch for the rest of the day just you know you get lemon mm-hmm. in, a, in a scratch or something like that mm-hmm. like it's, it's just a complicated mm-hmm. profession i don't know from the outside it is it is yes and i know doubt that i've noted that everyone listening to this right now is probably like screaming at us being yeah. like yes correct it is complicated because it is it is and it's very and it's it's the reason that i do what i do do you know what i mean because yeah. it's so difficult and yeah. so complex so 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 complex yeah. um and we're only kind of in the veterinary field now starting to understand wellness and like what wellness even means and you know going to therapy and I've like veterinary professionals reaching out to me for for therapy appointments or you know just general signposting or whatever it is and we're only like now starting to to get a grasp on it um there are obviously like (laughs) we were talking about this earlier there are obviously like issues with wellness culture though I don't Mm -hmm. know if you want to fill yeah. us in I suppose on what your opinion is on that and like what what your thoughts are because absolutely yeah 100 I mean like there is um wellness culture is a very funny thing because mm. this um it's this it's propagated by a lot of people that want to do very very well um uh, by others that want to bring happiness and joy and gratitude and everything into the world but it can really end mm. up um Oh, there's a number of things. Uh, it's if you put bits of ill-defined language out into the world, um, mm-hmm. oftentimes, and then people uh, interact with that language in a kind of superficial way. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. people will um, just adopt it to serve their own needs. So even like yes. this, the conversations that we have been having as a society around um, boundaries, um, and I've yes. definitely, I've definitely seen a number of people in my life use boundaries to um to uh how would you say to to dismiss um, self-serve or manipulate maybe but there's definitely one to you can definitely use it to self-serve and manipulate um you can also use it like it was summed up really well by actually somebody online so i mean like there's definitely two sides of the wellness culture there is really good content out there summed yeah. up really well where it was they, they were saying essentially you know, some boundaries are used to keep people out, but a lot of boundaries are used to keep people in. Um, oh, very good, yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's just yeah. that thing. And it's like finding nuance in these conversations. So obviously, you some people do not know how to treat you properly. And you need to draw a hard boundary because no matter how you interact with them, they are going to drain energy from you and they're not going to be a positive influence in your life. Mm-hmm. Other people are like 94% perfect, but they just... They're just really bad with money or something like that. Mm. Um, so boundaries in that case can actually help you keep a childhood friend. If you're just like, look, I just know what I'm willing to do with my money and I know what I'm not willing to do with my money. Mm-hmm. And if I know that, I can have you in my life. Um, yeah. yeah, 100%. And it's like, it's like if you boundaries are you knowing yourself well enough 
to just be able to be in the world and to explore it. Um, and your boundaries yes. should help you yeah. explore and they should bring people into your life. Um, and so you bring a wider range of people into your life. Um, or even like you see people um, that will mm. kind of, they will shy away from making friends with people from different cultures because they won't really understand the different cultural practices. Um, and they'll just be like, yeah, maybe they will put up this massive boundary being like, I don't really understand that culture or the way they behave or the language they use or what have you. But again, mm. you can just know yourself and know your own identity, know your own. If you're an Irish person, know your own identity as an Irish person, know your own Irish values and know your own what have you. Then you can just go out into the world. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter whether what what cult, what cultural practices other people are bringing to the table, because, you yeah. know, yours and you can it just it allows you this freedom. And it's this really beautiful thing. But again, oftentimes the, the boundary conversation is just kind of mashed in with the red flag conversation and people are just like red flag boundary red flag boundary yes yeah 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 yeah. and I think like a lot of the online content particularly in 2020 when the virus that must not be named um came (laughs) along I do think like I saw an awful lot of quote-unquote wellness content or wellness pages and um, particularly mental health pages which was really scary kind of crop up um and boundaries is there's this word that's so overused now that I'll say it particularly to my younger clients and they're just eye rolling because they they're thinking of TikToks and like you no. know it's lost on them now um so shame. I always say I've changed it I've changed the word yes it is and I've changed the word it's parameters now because oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to change it otherwise my clients get we just get this like it's it's as if social media enters the room as soon as I say boundaries, which yeah. is so fascinating. Um, and that's it exactly. So like, funny. And the head there with that parade with with just yeah. changing the term. And the red flag <laughs> thing too. Mm. Yeah, the red flag. Yeah, the red flag is a funny one because I mean, look, God bless, we all have red flags. Like you've got red yeah. flags. I've got red flags. Yeah, like, thousand percent. My life dismissed me as soon as they seen that I've got a red flag. I just wouldn't have anybody in my life. And it's just like, we need to kind of think of these things, the, the, the larger effect of the, I just have a kind of a larger conversation about what we're actually trying to achieve with this mental health content. Because mm. of, of course, if you're getting into a relationship, there's a certain subset of people that just, they will not look at um at, at the warning signs of their potential partners. Um, mm-hmm. And for those, it's quite, quite handy to have this simplified rule where if you see too many red flags, you need to turn around. And it really simplifies things again in that kind of, in those difficult emotional situations where you're caught up with feelings of infatuation, but you see red flag after red flag, it can simplify it and allow your brain to make a really cognitive, really simple cognitive decision being like, I know this is going to end badly. I'm going to get out of here. But again, if we're not having a nuanced conversation, if it's, if everything is conducted with, with 15 second videos, um, if everything's communicated with 15 second videos, we end up in this place where, again, as we're going out, let's say you go out into the pub and you talk to 10 new people mm-hmm. and you're like, you dismiss eight of them because you've seen red flags either in there, mm-hmm. whatever, you, like God knows where you might find red flags. They're very personal to each person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but it's, um again, just nuanced conversations. It, we're really not having them in the in the wellness field but and there's also just even modern wellness culture a thing i'm 
a thing I just love I, and I, I really find the most benefit in and it is um it's the ugly mental health is what I call it yes um, lovely yeah it's the ugly bits of mental health and the ugly bits of mental health are making compromises and it's mm. not being perfect and it is showing up even when you're like even you know as somebody who experiences lots of anxiety my kind of online mm-hmm. persona would again it, it was definitely something i flagged it was a red flag for me when i was going out into the social media <laughs> space <laughs> When I was going out into the social media space and I was seeing all of these posters and they were talking about mental health in the past tense. Um, and they were talking like, oh, when I was X and when I was Y and when I struggled and when I blah, 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 blah. Um, and it was never kind of a, it was never a real, it was never an on. The, the reality of mental health is it's not a destination. Um, it's a set of choices that you make on a day-to-day no. basis. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, yes. I, yeah. And actually, can I just lean on lean into that for a second? Because I actually was talking to my colleagues about sort of responsibility and using therapy speak to get out of the responsibility of taking care of yourself and sort of taking responsibility for your own situation. And I yeah. do see that happen yeah. quite a bit. Um, now that I'm working in recruitment a bit more and I can see people using mental well being in order to maybe sort of manipulate a situation or maybe sort of not take responsibility for what's going on in their own life um but just expecting everybody around them to go oh okay great the mental health the mental health card has been pulled so we need to now adapt to this person rather than the two-way street I've really seen that a lot recently and it's so interesting because on the one hand I really want to hold space for people and like you know help them as much as possible to you know deal with what they're dealing with but on the other side of that too you do have to give a bit of tough love sometimes and Mm -hmm. like encourage self-responsibility so like that balance at the moment is something I'm trying to I'm finding quite hard with people just in my day-to-day life um Mm -hmm. but I don't know what your thoughts are yeah of course I mean even I'm teaching a group of teenagers and you see the, Mm. the the mental health culture that they have and it's a chalk and cheese to the mental health culture that that we had when we were in school of course yes and that's brilliant but you also see the other side of it where it's it oftentimes these mental health terms uh, are used to to remove uh agency um or yeah. to forego agency so it's like oh well i'm not to blame for my own lack of uh understanding or competency or whatever because mm-hmm. i have x y and z because I'm struggling with depression I'm really again it's come down to this oversimplified notion when in reality even the term we use like uh, mental health day so like the, the the expectation or the underlying implication of that is you are absolutely fine or you're like absolutely capable of work until you need a mental health day when in reality and um, the yeah. uh, mental health day an actual sincere mental health day starts about seven weeks beforehand when you have a difficult yes. conversation with a with a difficult co-worker and it doesn't get resolved properly and that's eating away at you and then you start to get more and more agitated and then you've got some clients that are being difficult and and then you've got a, a problem with the wage department and then you've got x y and z and these problems at home and all of a sudden it's too much and i can't come in today um but 
it comes back and then it's like, what yeah. happened Tuesday morning that you couldn't come in? But we're not having a, a nuanced conversation about like, in reality, there should be, and ideally there will someday be, like just that culture of like, I thought there was a really good, um, yeah, just a nuanced culture. There was a really good, again, coming from social media, there was a couple, um, a married couple, and they had like three kids or something like that, and quite chaotic because three young kids. Mm-hmm. So what they would do is they would show up, and every time, every day they arrived home from work, they would just give each other a number, and it would, it would be like, I might say 20 if I'm really spent out of 100 I've got like 20 so then the other person is like okay cool I can give you 80 today that's fine um yeah and then another day I might arrive home and be like 70 I've had a great day I'm full of energy and then the other person's like thank god I'm I'm 30 if even 30 you know what I mean Mm -hmm. that's amazing it's just so beautiful to just be able to to really simply explicitly explain where you're at and what you're capable of giving um, and if you're coming home from work and you're 20 every day of the week for four weeks in a row, it becomes really obvious that something's not right at work. It becomes really obvious that work, whatever your work culture yeah. is at the moment, is not sustainable. But it's it's that little metric. And it's, again, yes. giving people a set of language to to explain really complicated emotional phenomenon um, or emotional uh, habits or uh, patterns or whatever. So, I, love I mean, like, that. yeah, so in work, it's. I'm absolutely fine and I'm showing up and I'm being a boss ass bitch or a boss ass bastard or whatever the equivalent is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever the kids are saying these days, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, uh, until I just can't hack it anymore and then I need mm. to take 48 hours off and then I go back and everybody's walking on eggshells egg around me because they don't know, did I have a, did I, you know, did I have a real uh, crisis? Was I endangered in any way? Did I, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just like, so we've got this culture but in reality, it might have just been I just needed to not be in work for 24 hours. And I'm just like, and I yeah. couldn't go for the weekend. And it's like, but it's still, it's beautiful that we have that, but it's still so stigmatized because it is this all or nothing binary mental health culture. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, you're so right. And like, yes, you are so, so right. And I think calling it a mental health day, like explicitly naming it as that probably mm-hmm. speaks to that binary culture. Yeah. And it's not just this gray area of, well, I could do with working at home in my pajamas tomorrow. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> like, is it, is that a mental health day or is it not? Like I actually did that yesterday <laughs> and it wasn't really a mental health day. I just needed to be in my pajamas and I needed to sit next to my dog and yeah. work and I got all my work done and we had tea and chats and yeah. that's what I needed but I ne- didn't necessarily turn to the rest of my team and say like hey this is a mental health day yeah. I mean if we were to dig maybe yeah it probably was I did a lot of peopling this week and I'm an introvert that does extroverted things and that's yeah. hard <laughs> but yeah like I didn't I didn't there was no label that I needed to put on it I just wanted to like wear a barbie jumper and sit down <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. Absolutely, know? I get it, man. Absolutely, yeah. and it is yeah. we, we, again. We've just we're we're we've grandfathered in the culture of um of medical sick days or whatever mm. you you know physical health sick days. So obviously, if you're an adult and you're out in the workforce, you're not taking you know you like if you've got a cold, you show up to work. If you've got yeah. a flu and it's not bad, you show up to work. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, but then it's only when it really reaches that point mm-hmm. that you're like, okay, I'm justified in taking this day off. It's only when I can't leave the bed, when I 
uh, when I'm when I'm bedridden. That yes. is the, that that is the metric for I am not coming into work today. Yeah. Again, we've just grandfathered in this system of I need to be bedridden with mental health. Yes, and that's scary. That's so yeah. scary because it means then that people get there. Yeah. Because and they don't prevent getting there. Yeah, and that's a really frightening place to be. That is a place where where a lot of people are not going to be very safe if they end up and a lot of people are going to be making very impulsive decisions if they end up being yeah. quote unquote bedridden by mental health. Um and that is 1, not that. Yeah. And I see like sometimes I was wondering today if, you know, our I would call them higher ups in my corporate environment, but like um I just wonder, you know, all of our politicians and things, they're all mental health is obviously like a huge conversation, particularly for the opposition, because, you know, the aim of the, the opposition is to get into government. So they're they just spend their time slating the government until they get in. That's usually yeah. what they do. And right. and the way that they chat to each other on social media is horrific as well. But we're not even going to get into that. Um, yeah. But like what I noticed today was I was reading something on Sinn Féin's policies earlier because I just so happened to spot something and I was like right I'm gonna have a look at this and the language that they used and like no one has pulled them up on it is horrific mm -hmm. so they said right they were talking about priorities for change in child and youth mental health services and they mm -hmm. have this like pdf report on it or whatever they use the sentence right they go there's also a cliff edge in our mental health services for young people Ooh. at 18. Why, like, why would you use the word cliff edge? Like, why would you use that language? Yeah. You were a political party who wants to lead us. Yeah. I just, so then I was like, right, we're not getting any guidance from above. And like, there's, I've noticed there's no like regulations happening kind of, um, on the ground you know yeah. talking about mental health days and like things like you know for example I don't want to just grandfather in paternity leave that's like other end of the that's another issue altogether but they're yeah. doing things like that right and they're bringing in paternity leave and really exciting beautiful things like this but we're not looking at ways to bring in mental health days quote-unquote mm -hmm. um into like our everyday working life they're they're just looking at like crisis management right now which I understand because there's there's a lot of crisis and we need to crisis yeah. manage yeah but the, when they're a mess too I'm like where like where do we go from here <laughs> do you yeah, know there's, like there's also a funny thing and this is just playing devil's advocate mm. where if you really do introduce uh, a lenient or uh, some sort of um, uh, uh, an easygoing, whatever the word is, mental yeah. health culture. Yeah. Some people are going to take the piss and they just are. Thousand percent. Yeah. So, and, and, sure, people and, are taking the piss now. Yeah, yeah. of course. And, and, and people are just afraid. They're really afraid. But I think a healthy mental health culture just starts with individual organizations. Yeah. Um, like it doesn't need to start, again, in Ireland, we sit around with our problems until the Americans solve them. And then we adopt the Americans of uh, the American solution. Yeah. And it's just like, and but for the most part, the Americans don't do most things correctly. Yes. Yeah. So like, this is <laughs> <laughs> poor America. I know, poor America. Big love to any, any Americans. Yeah. Um, but no. it is, yeah. yeah, no, it is, um, it, it is absolutely just a, um, what's the term I'm looking for it is yeah it's just something that we can just it's like little decisions and it is people in small businesses and it is um, people in just defining our own cultures and not waiting for somebody else to do it yeah yeah literally Mike we've been talking for an hour and a half 
Amazing. Wow. That was so I was fun. literally just that was so much fun. I yeah. loved that. That was like the chat I needed of a Saturday night. Just, yeah, of course. I also noticed that, like, yeah, so anyone listening, it's Saturday night and we're inside just talking about <laughs> psychology. <laughs> because that's what we like to do. 100%. Yeah, that's for sure. Do. But yeah. um, no better thank time, you no better so place. thank you so so much, Mike. You're like so that was welcome. amazing. Thanks for having me. Do you on. want to every second of it? Oh, do you want to tell people how they can like reach you and find you? Yeah, you can find me on any uh, social media, mostly Instagram at Cope on Mike. So like cop on, but with an E. So Cope on Mike, C-O-P-E-O-N. Um, and then if you want to That's find any more events, um, bookwhen.com forward slash Cope on. Bookwhen.com forward slash Cope on. Yeah. So then look, I'm, I'm there. I'm online. Amazing. I'll pop those in the show notes DM as well. Me, uh, I'm not living in an ivory tower just yet. So if you need to talk, just ask. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Thank you so much, Mike. No we problem. must do this, this again. Is, this is, we when we have when we have another hour and a half to carve out. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Bet Glow podcast. As always, come say hey on Instagram. I'm at Bet Glow and I'll see you in the next step.